Welcome back to Hearness, where we acknowledge the deep connection to land and waters by First Nations people all over the world, and we discuss contemporary art practices for connecting body, place and space. I'm your host, Dr Sarah Breen-Lovett, and this month we have the pleasure of speaking to Alex Wisser and Georgina Pollard. I met Alex and Georgie about 10 years ago when I took part in my very first group shows in Sydney under their curation. Around this time they were running the Index Art Space at St Peter's and shortly after made the big move to Candos in regional New South Wales which is famous for making the cement for the Sydney Harbour Bridge and is now the post-industrial town of the Cementer Contemporary Art Festival that Alex and George were involved with setting up along with other art projects in the area such as the Candos School of Cultural Adaptation known as KSCA. You can find more information on these projects and links along with other references related to the podcast on the podcast notes on hearness.org. The introductory sound for this month's episode comes from a recording of people spinning wool in the Country Women's Association in Candos. This was for Georgina's artwork called One Time in the First Cementer Festival of 2013. At the end of the episode, we will leave you with a reading of the Earth Oracle poem by Alex Wisser, made as part of the Artist, Farmer and Scientist Walk into a Bar project by KSCA. In these works and in others we will discuss, you will see that we've invited Alex and Georgie to speak on Hearness because across both of their projects there's a real sense of creating important connections. Between contemporary art and the rural community they find themselves in, between bodily movement and the processes of art making and between humans and the earth. For people that don't know your family's links to the area, do you want to talk about how you chose Candos and um, to go out to in the first place and that background? Um, well, it was really amazing when um, Anne Finnegan came to Index and um, and mentioned a residency out in Candos, which was a town that I already knew from travelling out here uh, ever since I was a child. Um, we used to go camping out at Dunswamp, but we also have family in the cemetery here and so um, we would be visiting taking my grandmother out to the cemetery or my mum would you know my mum now visits my grandmother and uh, we all visit we all visit the graves and so that you know when she had the residency it was it was a no-brainer to um, to travel out here and show Alex what I knew of the of the area. Mm. And it was, was it during that first residency that the three of you, you, you together with Anne Finnegan, devised the Cementa Festival? Is that how that evolved? Yes, that's right. It was, the fir- it was the, during the first residency and the cement works had just closed. So we got funding for it straight away. 
one of the beautiful secrets about that was that um, Anne Finnegan taught me something really, uh, um, really clever, which so during, for the application, she described what the town looked like. So she described, um, you know, artworks in front of like this escarpment and the big wide streets of this um, uh, 20th century town. And so it was her description, I think, that made it so enticing as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it was just beautiful. And knowing that when you're writing a, an application to visualise it so that people can see it, see what this is going to look like. It's going to look amazing. Yeah. How beautiful and, the town is. You know, and then that, that went into the DNA of the festival. Like the festival is about the place. Like we make the art about the place. Um, and so, you know, like it is actually, you know, meant to be that as opposed to making art that could sit anywhere. Um, you know, it's actually meant to be art that actually refers to the context of, of its exhibition. Are you surprised by the way that different artists respond to the town? Like, is it every festival, does it, or, or are there reoccurring themes that kind of seem to come up within the artist's work? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, there's a lot of attempts to, to figure out how the heck to relate to this other context. Um, and, and, and that response informs a lot of the, the ethos in that, 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 you know, that now carries forward in Samantha. Uh, often what I love most is that artists will come up with their preconceptions, their assumptions, because they have nothing else. They don't, they don't know what, a, uh, you know, a, a country town like this is like. And so they make assumptions and say, oh, I'm going to make an artwork about this bit of it. And then they get up here and then it's not like that. And then they actually have to kind of, which is what an artist does. They have to observe the surroundings. They have to actually engage with um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, engage in, in a process of perception uh, of, uh, of their subject material, of the town itself. And then they come back with something that's a little bit more um, you know, it's a little bit more integrated, a little bit more reflexive, um, which I really love. And I think that with socially engaged artworks, there's not often uh, an opportunity to do that. Like, you know, usually you have to just go out and do whatever it is, you, you know, you pitch to the funding body. Um, and and, and if, if, if the context, which will prove to be different than what you expect it to be, um, you're kind of stuck with your original intention. Yeah, because you've, I mean, you've both worked within the community, you know, you've done the festival and lots of other art events as well as running cafes, running for council. So I just wonder about that kind of, I guess, from the community side of seeing the artists come in, how has that been and how's the work that you've done with the community helped that along each festival? Does it does it seem to change as you go? Yeah, yes and no. Um it's it's really interesting, and it's one of the things that I love I love about this work is that it's so challenging. So it's not like you know it's just never like you get to a point where oh that's sorted. Like I, we 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 won the community over. Communities aren't like that. Like communities are, yeah, they're 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 conflict laden entities. You know, but I I think you know some people have very very. Um, idealized uh, ideas about what a community is, but you know, they're actually quite um, unwieldy um, and confronting beasts. And, um, and, and the fact is, is that, you know, I actually, for this community, I actually, you know, find that 
one of the things I love about it is that it's difficult. Um, and so, yeah, I have, we have made, you know, in, inroads into the community, like all of the major, you know, community organizations, Rotary, the RSL, the community shop, um, this, the high school, the churches, the, you know, all of those, those sorts of uh, organizations, they all support the festival. Um, they're all on board. We do have, uh, you know, a, a decent uh, um, uh, portion of the community that love and support the festival, that either love or support or love and support the festival. Like some people just, you know, they just go, oh, it's great for the economy, but it's not my thing. You know, like I'm not, oh, that's not my thing. And then we still have parts of the community that are and will always be um, antagonistic to what we're doing. And I, I think that's a really important bit of it. Like that's a really important bit that, you know, that, that actually lets me know that we're doing something that's actually, you know, that's real and not, you know, and not something that's just a fantasy of, it, uh, of engaging is that we're actually, you know, in, in, in you know, I, I believe that, that actually that antagonism is a form of engagement. Those people are engaged with the festival, but they are engaged, you know, as others to it. And those voices are like, they're important, like they're not to be ignored or, or scoffed at. Um, uh, they're also not, you know, something that you you allow to to basically stop you from what you're from what you're doing. Like, you know, you, you need to listen to them and and try as you can to talk to them. Um, and 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 I and I think that's you know one of the things we don't do very well as a society right now. Like, we don't do that. We don't we don't live with each other. You know, across those fundamental differences. Um, you know, so long as, as the, the differences are, um, are superficial, where we seem to be all right with each other. But once it gets to that, we don't look at each other or listen to each other. We don't talk to each other. And, um, uh, you know, and, and, and that, that's very destructive. So I, I see this, you know, with, with a lot of the artists coming up, I, you know, I think it's so valuable for them to engage with audiences that are not um, art world audiences. Are there any... Are there any works that come to mind where you feel the artist has has kind of really successfully worked with the community? Well, well, I mean, uh, Georgie's uh, work for the first festival, the the spinning yarning circle, um, which was a, a basically a, a circle of uh, wool sp women spinning wool from the local community, um, and then members of the community were invited to come in and to uh, tell stories about the, the cement works. And um, it, was, it was a really amazing, the, you know, it's the very last thing on the, on the last day of the first festival. And, and it was the one time I felt like the community spoke, like they actually spoke because they got up and they, they told their stories. They told about losing loved ones, you know, dying on, you know, in, in this, in, in this um, work and what it was like to grow up, you know, in a, in a, in a dirty old, uh, cement town you know and um and that was a really that was a really beautiful moment in which you know like I, I actually saw contemporary art like you know performing uh its own you know it, it, it uh, you know performing what it does so well within its own circle but in a completely different cultural context and expressing a culture that was so foreign to it and you know what I felt about that because I wrote about it afterwards actually it was new to tears and even thinking about it now it's quite um you know it's quite an emotional response I have because it just I think it was at the time at the end of the festival and you came to such a sense of stillness 
um, where you were listening to these women's voices and the the sounds of the the spinning wheels and the just the collectiveness of the community coming together. It had a real maternal nurturing sense as well, like listening to these mostly women talk about their experience of the town. Is there anything else that you'd like to add add on that project? I walked into a what was it? You know those big shows, like an Easter show type of thing, but it was I, I don't think it was the Ralston show. I think it was oh, I was a Hawkesbury show, right? And there was this, it was just this busyness. And uh, like there's, you know, those shows, there's just people everywhere and noises and cattle and all sorts of things. And then suddenly in the middle of all of that was this circle in which there were these women sitting spinning. And the moment of quietness was so amazing that I had to make an artwork from that that sense of that oh that sound of the of the spinning wheels is so beautiful and um and when people work together um and making something there's uh it's sort of like this a moment of distraction maybe it's a moment of distraction or flow yeah I like I always identified it with the I can't remember who it was I think it might have been W.H. Auden, um, I know he talked about the peripatetic urge, like walking and thinking, which he did and which um, I think, uh, Dickens did as well. Um, but the, I know it's been said the same thing about when you're doing something with your hands, you're, you're, you know, so your, your body is, uh, is actually doing something, um, you know, automatically, you know, that, that craft is done as a, as a program that your body goes through. Um, and so it's on, it's on automatic and, um, it, that being engaged in that state has, um, has a, uh, uh, an effect on the way you think and the way that you communicate and talk. And that's why yarning circles, I believe, uh, you know, have, have that communicative power that they have. That when you have, you know, a number of people together and they're doing the same action with their bodies at the same time, and there is a rhythm in that, and there is a sound, you know, that basically the, that the the sense of collectivity allows the stories to go back and forth and the language to to exchange across it um, in a way that cannot happen when it's just people sitting across from each other at a table or you know sitting in a you know in a in a circle on on some barren chairs or um, or even in a theater performance where people are you know or even an, or or an art gallery as people standing and watching something um the audience is disarmed or um yeah disarmed but so is the performance the performers are disarmed, are disarmed as yeah, well like you're not self-conscious when you're doing that you know you lose that self-consciousness and in, in the you know, in the proficiency of your body, mm. you lose it. And, and so you... But why does the audience also feel that? They do. They feel a sense of respect, but at the same time, a sense of comfort, you know, as well. Like they, I mean, maybe they, the people, people just sat down and stopped and stayed for a really long time uh, yeah. and just relaxed. And the artists went out and they got their, their work and they brought it in and they started making they started, their work. They started making the work audience. together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It was great. Like, all the only thing that I did was create a context for for people to work together. That's the only thing that I did. I didn't you know, didn't stories. do very much and to tell stories. Um, just thinking about the act of making and the repetitive act of making um, and the state that it can bring you to. I'm thinking about your paintings, Georgie, with the dripped 
paint? I think I just called them woven paintings. But that process was um, about the repetition throughout the day. Like I had a, I had a, Emma was, Emma was little. I had to look after her um, and I had things, you know, I had to look after. So there was this, uh, this care that was about caring for the paintings and then caring for the family and caring uh, for myself it, through that process of that was ritualistic and um, and timed throughout the day. That's really, that's really interesting as well if you compare it to, you know, Pollock, who's who's obviously a you know an avatar of the of the or you know a, what a precursor to that to those works because his works were action paintings, so they were all about this moment, this momentary, this you know violent, active, you know now sort of a thing that's going on, and and your work is actually sort of being stretched out across time, and you know your involvement has to be. Is, is regulated, slow, you know, sustained, sustained you know, uh, r rhythm, you know. What about your um, more recent work that you were doing, Georgie, with the, the drawings and the beautiful mappings that you're doing of the area? Could you talk a little bit about how you go about that process of understanding the area and then drawing it? So there was a call out for somebody to do a tourist map. But in drawing it, I found that what I really wanted was um, to describe the area very spatially, like what it feels like to drive through the landscape, how space changes focus and changes shape and size according to what you to where you are. Um, so as you're driving for miles, then you know space does sort of contracts a little bit. But then as you as you enter a town, space suddenly becomes quite large. <clears throat> as you as you notice more and more details um, and what it's like to turn corners and to feel uh, to come into town with those poplars yeah so that process there was a lot of driving around and um, Alex did a lot of the photographs for me that I used in the work to do a pictorial draw, um, drawing of the Candos Ralston area yeah, you get a. I think you get a real sense of that. It's like this diorama. I don't know if that's what you call it, but this circular map, and you do really get a sense of certain parts of it opening out to you. It's got like a, a three dimensionality to the to the work, and it's so delicate and beautiful. The line work on it as well. So um, hopefully, I'll be able to put a put a picture of it up on the podcast page or a link to it somewhere so people can see. Because I think it, when you first started working with the biochar, you did some charcoal drawing workshops as well. Who was that with, those work workshops? Uh, with the Living Classroom. It's a it's an educational <laughs> facility in, uh, basically in Bingra, um, which is in regional New South Wales here. And, um, uh, and they focus on uh, teaching regenerative farming, um, permaculture, uh, soil biology, anything to do with, with sort of, uh, uh, you know, creating healthier soils and, uh, and, and responsible land management. Um, and, yeah, we partnered with them, KSEA partnered with them. Georgie sort of devised these games. They were collective games, which is what I really loved about them. You, you, you never, you didn't really have the space where you get to go, oh, this is my drawing of a tree because somebody else was in there making something else out of what you were doing and you just had to kind of roll with it. And so it was, in a way, it was in a, a very emergent, um, you know, process. So the drawings were really coming out of these 
auto autonomously moving people, you know, interacting in ways that, that kind of created patterns. Um, and it's sort of interesting in terms of like what, how it reflected on biochar is that um, biochar is the process. It's not, um, it's not a product. It is a product, but it's not, the process is more important than the product. So the product, we want it to be clean. We want it to, to do its job within the soil. But if it doesn't um, sequester carbon, then it isn't biochar. Do you know what I mean? So the process has to be a certain way so that we are sequestering carbon or um, use, uh, using only um, um, uh, agricultural waste or things that you can't grow something like, let's say, with willow charcoal. I don't doubt that they have plantations of willow that are then made into charcoal and then are sold. And there's no regulation as to whether that sequesters carbon or not. So the biochar is all about process. And so the drawings were also about process. And that if we start to worry about, about the processes and concern ourselves with what happens through the processes and what the rules are, there's still freedom in that. And we still get to act autonomously, but, um, but we can care for the earth. We can care for other things at the same time. That's that's what I was interested in. I think it's fascinating because of the, I guess with that that project specifically, but also with a lot of the KSCA projects, is how they're bringing together this way of thinking about art practice and making and different ways of approaching the landscape in more sustainable farming techniques or. Um, you know, lots of different projects going on there. We should probably just introduce people to the concept of KSCA if they don't know about it. It's Kando's School of Cultural Adaptation, and that cultural adaptation is a very specific um, term uh, about art to be, um, you know, a, a, an activity that, that affects cultural adaptation. And it's really gone from strength to strength. Like the website, um, kca.land is amazing and there's so many interesting projects and you, you're writing on the blogs on there as well and wonderful documentation as well. Um, I'm just wondering, are there any projects that you felt really have kind of brought together parts of the community or really connected to the landscape in a, in a unique way that, that, um, that you think that the kind of the whole ethos of the KSCA behind it has really helped that? I'm not comfortable telling myself the... Um you know, the, the success story. Um, like I, I look at it and go, okay, that was great, but what did we do? And how mixed was the bag? And where were the problems and who did we miss? And um, there was a, we did a farm visit um, as part of the artist farmer scientist project um, on uh, Epicurean harvest. So these young farmers, very idealistic, had gone out into the bush and had started up a, a market garden and they were using regenerative farming methods and they were doing things, you know, they weren't, they weren't doing things the easy way to make money. They were, they were doing it the, the right way and, and, and really going through there. And we, we brought out, a, you know, an audience of 40 or 50 people and walked across the land and told stories and, um, and had this whole experience. And then one of the farmers, uh, the talk at the end of it, you know, began to talk about the fact that we were able to bring 50 people out to, um, you know, to, to experience and to share um, the value of what they were doing. They said well, that was completely renewing for them. 
right? You know, it just, you know, like it renewed the, their, their faith in what they were doing. It was like a, you know, it was a signal that, you know, that they just, they had no access to that, you know, what actually know what they were doing was quite meaningful. And look at all of these people coming all the way out to, to do that just because it was that meaningful and to get that connection. And there were other bits and bobs, you know, from that thing where I was like, you know, I, I was like, yeah, you know, that's a real thing we did. That's a real concrete, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, accomplishment, um, you know, that we were able to contribute to, to, the, to the efforts of these farmers to make these very difficult changes that they're making. No, that's great. And I think um, what I'd like to lead into now is I guess that the link between labour and working and the art practices, because I know that's something that you've been developing your work in other ways as well, Alex. And I'm specifically thinking about a video, some video work of you holding out bricks in different areas. So, so that work was called the Brickworks, and I basically um, I chose four different suburbs uh, across Sydney, very different suburbs. So I, I was Mosman, uh, Blacktown, Redfern, and Campbelltown, and I stood in a very public space, uh, usually on a sidewalk, and I held a brick outstretched in my hands for an hour, and I filmed that. So I had a camera right in front of me videoing that. And each of those neighborhoods, I, the idea was, would reveal some a different character, and they did. Like they, you know, like Mosman, everybody walked past as though I wasn't there. And then at Campbelltown, people stopped and they bloody hung out. And then, you know, I got a big round of applause when I finished. And the shopkeeper came out with water, and you know, and um, in, in Blacktown, I got uh, harassed by gangs of kids and stuff. And, you know, and so that, you know, that was. Yeah, so that was the earlier work. The work with the festival, the work I did was called The Support. And every day of the festival, I held a different artwork outstretched in my hands for an hour. And, you know, and it was meant to make comment on the support, you know, that goes into putting on a festival like this and making it a little bit evident. I think you, I saw you with Christine McMillan. Had she burnt wood? She, she had a pile of... of, of um, uh, firewood and so and she polished one side of the uh, of each piece of firewood perfectly and I held the, the that outstretched and it was very difficult and but it was the, the way people responded was amazing because the audience started to come up and help me to hold the 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 piece of wood and they would just come and take turns to do that and it was a beautiful it was actually a beautiful revelation of the context because yes, it's true that, you know, that putting on a festival is difficult and the people that do that work hard to support the, the artists in doing that, but also they don't do it alone. I get, because I experienced that work and I think I came and held, um, held the wood for a while. Um, but I, the thing that I was wondering about the most was how, what kind of mental techniques were you using to sustain that? Like, what were you doing? Because you, your arms must have been hurting incredibly. Uh, you know, like, it, it's interesting because, in, and this ties into the to the digging of the hole, that work as well. It, go, it definitely goes into the same place. So just so for those who don't know, one of the other works that I do is I dig a hole. And I dig a hole for an entire month. Um, it's usually around three meters deep. And it's about um, a one and a half by one and a half meters square. Um, and it's 
it's I do it slow and methodically. I do it eight hours a day. It is a job and I just do it. But it, it, it really puts you into a meditative state that is uh, I don't know of another one like it. Like it's 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 absolutely um yeah and 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 i'm the only one who ever gets to experience that in that those works um you know and i and i am and i'm yeah, the, time, the two times i've done it it's in very very difficult hard soil and i'm literally you know i look at it as i'm i'm, I'm on a journey you know uh, and, I, and i'm proceeding at about five to ten mil a day um down and the thoughts you have are they're astounding and you go, you bet you, what you do is you cycle through. It, it's very, it's, it's very, it's almost like the inversion of, um, uh, of like meditation, you know, where meditation is you try to clear your brain of any thought and then thoughts creep back in. And so you clear the mind again, you clear your brain. Well, when you're doing this sort of work, you're, um, you're constantly coming up against uh, time. And, 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 and it's painful nature, you know, that you have another, I don't know, you don't know, you don't, I, you don't know how long, in, if you're holding a brick out for an hour, how long have you been holding that brick for? You don't know. And um, you have to, you have to regulate that, you know, that obsession, because you can begin to obsess over how much time you have left. And you basically have to meet out the time of suffering. So you know, you're digging with this thing. So it's a rhythm, you know, and you just rely on that rhythm and you just go and you live with each beat of that thing. You know, you just hit it, boom, boom, boom. And then, but what happens is when you do that is that you, your attention breaks or it drifts and you will find yourself sometime later after having some kind of, you know, a consideration. And most of the times when I was in the hole digging, I, 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 I pondered, the history of slavery and mining for, for the most part. So I thought about other people's suffering and what it was like to suffer in other conditions at other times. And, and I would just go on, on these sort of, you know, considerations, these journeys around, you know, around what it might've been like, or I would, you know, or you could think about the, the earth or the soil or the plant life. And, um, and it was infinitely fascinating. The, the brickworks were, it was a, a, it's just a different, it was just a different mentality because you really did, you didn't have the, you know, you didn't have that bodily motion that we were talking about earlier um, that, that could take you away. And in, you know, like, you know, in a way that, you know, taking you when you, that that for me is being there like being there is, is when and this was a, a, a painter friend of mine um uh scott Siebel. when i lived in new york he told me this thing um i wasn't an artist at the time i was a poet and he was the painter and he told me he said you know when you when you look up from the painting from the canvas and your coffee is cold and your cigarette is out and you don't know what happened to the last four years four hours of your life that's when you were that's when you were working that's when you were making the work and i feel like that's actually more when you're there um you know uh and and it's it's a it's, a, it's a actually quite a fascinating like I, i'm just getting all of these resonances between the different things we're talking about you know the way that the way that artists pay attention to what they do you know the when you know, was listening to georgie talk about her works and the way she's talking about you know, and going into the processes that, you know, that she's, you know, that she's exploring or, um, or, or, or talking about the, 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 
the community ceremony of the these women um, uh, working, and I'm like, yeah, that's an that's how an artist looks with this incredible, almost you know, uh, fanatical attention to detail. You know that that basically they pay so much attention to their material. You know that they 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 pay they give it so much respect. They give it so much. Uh, uh, you know, they, they a, 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 attention, and that you can do that with a drawing. You know, when you're looking at an object, and you really, um, and this is another one of my favorite quotes uh, who, from a painter who I always forget his name. Anyways, he he once said, "The more you look at things, the more abstract they become," and um, and I think that's really true. And and I think only artists know that. Like nobody else has this has the opportunity in their lives to look at a thing and do nothing but look at it and then try to look at it in a way that's better than they would have looked at it, you know, and try to improve their way of looking at it or find another way of, of looking at it and then finding a way of, of recreating that thing that they see in a, you know, in a way that, that, that might communicate this way of looking that they've, that they've discovered or they've uncovered in, in what they're doing. You know, that, uh, you know, that is, uh, it, is a, it is a very unique thing. So just going on to speak about the digging, digging the earth works and the earth oracle that you wrote at the bottom of one of the holes, um, I'd really like to have a reading of that from you. But before we do, I know Georgie's written some reflective piece about that. Uh, that piece is going to be printed in the Groundswell newspaper. The inspiration for writing it came from everybody else's reaction to his work. So everybody was saying around me, was saying things like, Wow, I wonder what Alex is going to say. I wonder what um, what messages the Earth has given him, and and that sort of thing. And I thought that's not what Alex is going to talk about. <laughs> you know, Alex is a very like rational dude. He doesn't he doesn't speak sort of mystically about anything. Um, and so, but then when he came out of the hole, the poem wasn't mystical. But it was very, it was just incredibly beautiful. And it, it really goes to the heart of what I, of what I love about artworks. It is not to do with, you know, the larger works in, you know, throughout art history, there's always a reason for why they get considered as being part of art history. There's something abstract about them. They, they sort of sit within a certain context, but they tell a certain narrative about art history. And something like what Alex did has nothing to do with art history. It has nothing to do with, it is very embedded within what happened that day, in that weather, with those people within that community. And it was important that it happened and amazing that it happened. And it was amazing to those people who were there. Um, I'm just wondering um, when you just mentioned about um, you know, he's not a mystical guy. And then he comes out and he says he's channeled the earth and it's the earth oracle. Where's that line between, um, I don't know, how is that not mystical? <laughs> I think that that's what's amazing is that, well, I think I should probably let Alex talk about that. But what I really loved that I wanted to get across in the in the essay was that, 
you can have you can be both things so I asked Alex when you wrote that poem were you really channeling the earth and he said no of course not I was exhausted I was tired <laughs> and and that's all I could think of but there's an honesty there's still an honesty in that that you can be both um decorative or florid and authentic at the same time and that the, both of those things are necessary. One of the things that was the most surprising about this long, it was two-year project working with farmers in that area and around Candos was how spiritual the farmers were in 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 ways that I, you know, like I, I thought the artists are going to be the wackadoodle element of this project the farmers are going to down to earth the scientists are going to right assumptions all these assumptions about who's who and and and, um and how they behave and form and i just noticed that there was a lot of spirituality in these farmers they you know there were farmers who who talked about subtle energy there was farmers who uh you know they, they most of them you know had had some relationship to divining either water or subtle energy. Um, there, there, you know, there were other elements that happened, and, and I was just wondering, well, why, why is it that you know that they there was this, you know, strong spiritual sort of element to their to their life, um, and you know, one of the things that, that I came to understand, or it was it was my explanation, my understanding of it, was that perhaps because the farmers are relating to, um, you know, bodies of land that are vast and, and much more incomprehensible. We were running a project that was really around artists, farmers, and scientists. So it was about trying to get a dialogue going around the science about, you know, farming and regenerative farming, and, and which involved us in the process of trying to know the land and know what was going on in the soil and know what was it. And, and really, you know, the project made me realize is that, well, um, we know very little. And we can know very little. So does that mean, you know, well, what do we do with it? How do we, like, if knowing is a way of grasping, uh, a, a comprehending uh, um, something, um, when, when that comprehension fails, how do we relate to it? How do we relate to the thing we don't know and we can't know? Um, and basically, traditionally, that's where religion is always, it served that, that uh, that um, uh, that function of, of of basically of providing an image, you know, an an intuition of uh, of the of the object of the thing of the uh, of the natural uh, landscape um, that you could you could it, apprehend it. You can so you can still maintain it as as something existent in the world, even though you'll never know it. So, so anyways, the, the, the idea for the work was, I, I wouldn't call it ironic, um, but, but it was definitely embedded within my own skeptical style of, well, okay, if they're going to be religious, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do something religious here. I'm gonna do what they would have done in, in days of yore, you know, when somebody wanted to have a religious experience, they went into the wilderness and they fasted for weeks. And then they had visions and they, and they, you know, and they saw. So I went into the hole and I fasted for two days. There was like a small crisis that I had in there at one point where I'm like, okay, what, what are you doing? You know, you can't speak for the earth. That is the most arrogant thing you could conceive. You cannot speak for the earth. And the earth is certainly not going to talk to you. 
you're just going to write down what you think the earth might say in this instance. What is mystical actually is that within your head is a relationship to the earth and a relationship to other people that you're capable of drawing on, which is incredible. That it, it, We don't have to have the earth speak to us. Like it doesn't have to say words. <laughs> it's in you already. It's quite, it's amazing. Mm. It's absolutely beautiful. You know, every single mystic I would say in the history of mysticism did exactly what I did. They went out into the wilderness and they spoke and they said what they thought the wind would say, or they thought the desert would say, they thought that the oracle would say. And that's all, that's as magical as it gets. And it's pretty freaking magical. Like you did mention when you're digging the hole, you know, you think it's the best kind of meditation that you, that you could do, right? So it must put you in a certain state of mind and, and, and you must have, I'm guessing was were you in that state of mind before you wrote the poem or you were just so hungry and exhausted at that point it wasn't like a regular day of digging yeah I mean, so th- that was so that was fasting and that has a different effect on on your mind so one of the first things that um that your body does is it shuts down a lot of your higher brain function because it's high that's actually high c- caloric activity and so you think on a much fuzzier level I felt like I became less egotistical. Like that was like, there was just less self-concern because I'm just at a state where my ego and its needs were not really of importance (laughs) to my body. You know, like it was basically at a point, but you know, it was also, I mean, I have to say that in that, inside that hole, it's incredibly peaceful. Like I slept a lot, you know, like I actually, it's, and, and so the first night of the festival, Georgie mentioned the winds. There was a massive windstorm and it roared above the top of that hole. And everybody was worried about me, but I was, I was in this amazing place. Like it was so peaceful. Like you're in the, you're in the earth and there's just no description I can give you to give you the sense of what it's like to be in the earth, but you're, sur- you're surrounded, you feel held, you feel, you feel the solidity of everything around you and it's cool and it's quiet and uh, and the wind you know rages above your head and you don't know it you know you don't you don't you're out of that i was just going to ask does the smell is the smell of the earth always present or do, do you not notice it after a while you, you don't notice it after a while but you know it, it's actually a really good point i mean i, I actually believe that you know I, I do have a little bit of belief in the in the idea that that the you know that when you're smelling the earth you're actually smelling a lot of the microbiology that and that actually has, you know, that has a, a you know, a, a positive effect on, on, on mood. Um, was it easy to write? Like, did it just kind of flow out or was it a bit of a struggle? No, no, no. It was a lot of scratching. and I, I, I literally thought at the end of it, oh, you got a kind of a muddled half-assed something or other and then I when I climbed out of the hole at the very end of it and people were crying I was like what the yeah I think the power in it is it's so it's kind of um it's kind of a a bit it's ambivalent you know and it it's like an old wizened person talking on their deathbed it's like this is your problem you're doing this to yourself like that there is love in in there like she does express on, on several occasions a great concern like yeah she wishes she could relieve us of our anxieties yeah. but she can because we're not the earth and we're not stars and we're not gods 
except that except that you were able to draw on that so there is that in you and yeah and and love is an, an emotion that we feel that is you know you know it's i don't think it's an you know it's a it's a configuration that is exclusive to to the human being no absolutely you know like yeah. it is it is actually attraction it is it is all of the it is a, com, a composite of, uh, and a particular composite of forces that exist you know throughout the universe in 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 in, in all of its dynamics and there's love there there's indifference there's hate there's rage you know you can you can make those connections do we have um should we have your reading? Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing me your questions. To begin, I would like to ask a question of my own. Who here understands the earth? If you would ask a question of the earth, who amongst you can understand its answer? Let me ask you the same question in a different way. Who stands under the earth? Ah, the answer comes too quickly. Is it even a question if the answer ar arrives as soon as it is asked? A question occupies time, drawing you towards the horizon and is only as good as the length of time it takes you to answer is long. Why then would you throw your question into a hole in the ground as though you would be done with it? Be patient with me. I will give your answer in time. I understand why you have come to me. I stand under you. Everything you do has me underneath it. I give you your life and I take your dead. I am the relative of stars. Believe me when I say that I understand you. You have come to me like lost children. Anxiously, you want to know what will become of you. You already know. The same thing as always happens. You are scared and confused. You have unleashed forces you cannot control, forces that rage in your own breast. I earnestly want to give you an answer, but I can only give it to you in time. You are the strangest children I have ever produced. What an adventure you have had. What brilliant, clever, terrible creatures you are. Your excessive pride is almost justified. Look at how much you have learned with your science, how much you have multiplied, how you have taken every form and mastered every material. You have the destructive prodigality of nature that you are. I am proud of you. Your intelligence unfolded with such force, like a crystal forming violently until it looked like you would pierce the sky. Perhaps you will yet, who knows? The thought makes me tired. You were born to seek horizons, and so it comes as no surprise that you would launch yourselves even at mine. And so when you return to me and give me your question, you see, when you want to know its answer, when you want to know, you want me to take your question from me, to relieve you of its demand, of its drive toward the horizon, that is still the same motion. If I could, I would give you the consciousness of a star. After all, I am a mother. I love my children unreasonably. I would give you the perspective that sees all of time. If you could witness mountains rise out of the crust of my body and wear back into it, perhaps you would feel less anxious. Perhaps the storms that churn your oceans would quell and the winds that drive you toward the stars would slacken. Is this not a beautiful dream? 
Knowledge is useful, but we know that it is not useful for that. Is this not the error that all your knowledge is founded on? That it will give you peace? That it will make you feel safe? Imagine wanting to know your future. What a thing to desire. Is that not why you live your life? For me, there is no difference between wanting to know the future and wanting to live. You see what circles you, you, your questions tie me into? Ulti ultimately, I am talking to myself. Take your questions. I return them to you as the only gift I can give you now. You have a horizon that calls you to it. I will answer your questions there.